0: Amen. It has been uh, my privilege and joy to uh, share the vision of 2021 with you this year in this four-week series. Um, and uh, we uh, had the first three weeks, uh, we talked about, we, we introduced the concept of Back to Basics. Uh, the next week, we talked about apostolic doctrine. The next week, apostolic prayer. And then this last Sunday, we uh, talked about Apostolic Fellowship and Apostolic Breaking of Bread, how the Apostolic Church uh, uh, did what they did, and using the illustration of a car having four tires or a, a stool having four legs, that all of these are equally and significantly important. Um, and so we covered them in detail, circled back on the Wednesday nights when we could and, and dug deep as we're going to do tonight. Uh, um, uh, the whole purpose of this uh, four-week uh, series and the casting of the vision is when I was praying, the Lord just spoke to me and said, uh, if you're going to uh, help the people uh, chart a course, it's your job to help the people chart a course uh, through these troubled and uncharted waters so that that course would lead to their sanity, their safety, and their salvation. And he said, but if you're going to do that, we need to go back so that we can secure our future. We read from Jeremiah in the beginning, and I I want to start it again for those that are not uh, a part of this lesson uh, so far. Maybe you're just looking at this one series. Jeremiah uh, said in 6.16, he said, This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old ways, the godly way, and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But they replied, no, that's not the road we want. So I posted watchmen over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. But you replied, no, we won't pay attention. Today, tonight, we must pay attention to the preacher. If we're going to stay sane, saved, and secure our eternal salvation. We must take the actions of the apostolic church and make them our firm foundation. We must remember them and stand upon them. They will stand any test or, of time and any storm that life brings. They will work in every situation. They will work in every generation, and they will work in every nation. We discovered early on in this series that the four building blocks of the apostolic church are found in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And it says this, and with many other words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this, excuse me, that's verse 40, from your own, uh, uh, toward generation. Then they gladly received the word, and in the same day there were added unto the church about 3,000 souls. Here's verse 42 that I was trying to get to. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And that's where we find these four building blocks of the apostolic church. One is doctrine or teaching. And that concept we went in depth and we studied it only not only on Sunday but on the following Wednesday it comes from discipline. Keeping the teachings of the Apostle, keeping the commandments of God. And then the second uh, building block is prayer, apostolic prayer. Prayer is a product of a relationship with God. It's not something that's difficult when you're in love with your heavenly husband. It's like talking to your spouse or your best friend or someone that you're calling on in a time of trouble. It comes out of a relationship, and when it does, your spirit joins with God's spirit. And when your spirit joins with his, power comes out of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. The the next two that we talked about, the the, the last two building blocks we talked about and preached about on Sunday. And they are fellowship, which is a spiritual relationship between believers and breaking of bread. And that is a physical relationship between believers. And simply put, uh, breaking of bread is doing life together. Uh, so Sunday, we talked about those two, fellowship and breaking of bread. Tonight, I've already said we're going to circle back and dig deeper into those. Uh, and though they are closely related, they are not the same, but it is very convenient and very easy to talk about them together. Uh, uh, but one uh, is not the same as the other. And, and if you work with us on Sunday, please uh, go down the thread and you'll find Sunday sermon. Listen to that To that, and you'll hear a little more. I'm just doing an overview of that so I can get to the application of fellowship and breaking of bread, where we're trying to get to tonight. Uh, The Apostolic Church pursued Apostolic fellowship and Apostolic breaking of bread the same way they pursued Apostolic prayer and Apostolic doctrine. They continued in it. They pursued it like someone on a journey. They continued how steadfastly? That means with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we read this in the, the actions of the apostle, recorded by Luke, uh, the, the gospel writer, uh, we must remember that the actions of the apostles is a letter that is written thirty years after um, the day of Pentecost. So it's not a play by play, an account uh, uh, account of uh, of what's going on. It is a um, it is a, uh, a collective observation of what Luke has heard and seen through Paul and through others and by the Holy Spirit. And he compiled first uh, the, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke, and then uh, he moved directly into the actions of the apostles. And um, so that's how we got to the book of Acts. We also must remember that the apostolic church is integral and inseparable from the Jewish faith. Uh, to understand Christian faith, you must understand the Jewish faith. To understand the Christian lifestyle, it is significant that you understand the Jewish lifestyle. Uh, quite simply, the Apostolic Church was a Judeo and is a Judeo-Christian church. And, um, and we're going to take a deeper look at the two elements, uh, fellowship and breaking of bread, these two building blocks or cornerstones of the foundation that we stand on, which is apostolic doctrine, apostolic prayer, apostolic fellowship, and apostolic breaking of bread. And we're going to take a deeper look at those tonight. As I've already said, we're going to start with fellowship, but as I've already said, fellowship is a spiritual relationship among believers. And uh, its Greek word is kaunonia. I talked about that. It means commonness or joint participation or social or spiritual, um, uh, your your spirit and someone else's spirit linking together in a in a. Uh, the, quite frankly, it's called social intercourse where you join with someone else. You become brothers or sisters. You 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 are inseparable. Your spirits are inseparable. And um, uh, so, when we see the word fellowship, it's much more. It's a spiritual. Uh, word and an ideological word not as much as a physical word but we're going to talk about the physical which is breaking the bread in just a moment or we talked about Sunday and we're going to just touch on that some more. Uh, I'm trying to end this up with application. What does that mean to me in um, 2021? So that's where we're going with this just touching again some of these high points from Sunday. Um, This fellowship includes uh, two basic elements. Uh, when you look at fellowship, it's a deepening of friendships and it's a, a developing of a common goal or a common vision uh, or uh, common priorities. When you come alongside people and you're headed uh, in the same direction, you may not be in the same lane with them. You may have a slightly different perspective uh, or view of, of uh, your journey, but the journey's end is at the same place. That's what fellowship is. Um, um, uh, looks like uh, we often use the word uh, or use the the analogy of tug of war, where you have two teams um, pulling on a rope. You know, pulling one this direction, one this direction. Everybody on this team is a hold of a rope, uh, and everyone on this team, and, and you're pulling in opposite force If 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 this person said, "I want to pull this way and this way, this way," well, you're then on you're on a different team. Uh, you're on the other side. Uh, But when you are in fellowship with somebody, you've got a hold of the rope and you may not be able to pull as strong as them or they, you may be able to pull stronger than someone else. It doesn't matter, but you're all pulling in the same direction. That's what fellowship looks like. The word fellowship means much more than being together. It means having things in common or being uh, as one with each other, it refers to uh, not only the, the the sharing of of spiritual things or an ideology, but physical things, common material goods. Um, but uh, we got to make sure when we use the word "common," we're not talking about communism. It's not when we say communism, we're not talking about communism because. Uh, the program was totally, and if you will, the pro- approach, that program, was totally an apostolic fellowship. It's totally totally voluntary. Nobody's going to make you fellowship. Uh, but if you want friends, you've you got to get out there and show yourself friendly. You've got to uh, get out there and put yourself out there uh, and, and do that. Uh, and not only was it totally voluntary, but it was motivated by love. Um, the apostolic church, when they met together, they met for worship. Uh, to minister to God, they met for fellowship, to minister each other through friendship and um, social interaction. And they met for meals and to do other events together. This is the breaking of bread where they did their daily teaching and they met each other's physical needs and, and, and watched and, and, and provoked each other into true life change. Uh, I've already said about the difference between communism and communism. Uh, The Bible said they sold their possessions and shared those with everyone that had needs. Uh, This is definitely not communism. Uh, It's a system of mutual ownership called communism. Here's the difference. Communism says what is mine is yours. Communism says what is yours is mine. And So the impetus is is totally reversed. In the apostolic church, I know that what I have is mine. Ananias and Sapphira did like other people. They sold a piece of property and they brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles uh, as many others were doing and God was blessing that and accepting their sacrifice. But with Ananias and Sapphira, their problem was is that they said this is all the money that we had. They actually lied about it, which they didn't have to. And the man of God said to them, "Why are you lying about this? Wasn't the money all yours? You didn't have to give it all. Why did you even say that? You see the difference in the apostolic church. It's all yours." And then when you're a true apostolic, when you have the love of Jesus Christ, uh, then you want to give. You want to pour out of yourself. So it's a big difference, and it should not be confused. Um, And so we'll move on some more. Um, Let's talk about, that that covers fellowship pretty good. Uh, And we covered it even more so in Sunday. So I'm not going to hit that much uh, harder, but I, I do want to transition with this. Fellowship is the front door of the apostolic church, and it leads us into the living room around the Jewish table, and the Jewish table is the centerpiece of that that table, that supper table is the centerpiece of the apostolic church, and this is where we get the concept of apostolic breaking of bread, which is a physical relationship between the believers. When the Bible said they broke bread together, hear me, somebody had to make the bread. Somebody had to cook. Somebody had to roast the lamb. Somebody had to make the wine, if you will. Somebody had to set the table. This was a very physical concept. It was not spiritual. As much as um, uh, fellowship is spiritual or ideological, breaking of bread is physical very physical and and it's, it's illustrated throughout the ministry uh where someone comes to you and they have need and the bible said don't just say god bless you and send them on their way he says uh, in the word of god it says uh, make them a bowl of soup feed them and then say god bless you and send you on the way so you have both fellowship and the breaking of bread uh and so um the early believers uh used to meet in each other's home to uh, commune together to be uh, in fellowship that's another word for it, fellowship or communion now don't have this image in your head of these believers getting together and putting a tiny tasteless wafer on their tongue and drinking a little bit of wine that's not what they did that's what it's become in a church service but uh, they were there however uh, to uh, eat their evening meal and to enjoy each other's fellowship. And uh, for the Jews then, as it is now, fellowship was mediated by the meal. So the meal becomes part of their uh, fellowship where they talk to each other. How are you doing? What's going on? What have you been up to? What, what do you need me to help you pray for? What are you worried about? What's going on? It's all uh, that's this spiritual part or this um, ideological part is there while they're physically breaking bread and eating it. And... Uh, uh, it, it simply uh, they did their life together and they ate their meals together now the meaning of together must be grasped the evening or the supper meal I'm going to move fast now if you can because I'm trying to get to the end where we apply this today the evening meal and, and there again I covered this all on Sunday I'm just hitting the highlights the evening meal of the supper table was the centerpiece of Jewish life the day's trials and triumphs were discussed at the table tomorrow's plans and purpose were made at the table Religious Jews begin a meal with uh, with bread and saying over it a baraka. The, in Judaism, the baraka is a formula of blessing. It's a liturgical blessing of thanksgiving recited before the enjoyment of a meal. Then they break off a piece of the loaf and they eat it. So the blessing of God, specifically for his provision of the bread... Uh, will not have been said in vain. So this bread, the work, the effort, all of this coming together, and the blessing is a sign that God has given us the ability and the effort to eat this and to break this together and to have you here in our home. Jesus knew and observed this practice himself. He also uh, gave additional meaning to this breaking of bread um, when he said, as they broke the bread at the Last Supper, For this is my body, which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now this was not some religious ceremony, this was a statement by Jesus saying, every time you sit down, and we're having such a good time at this dinner table, uh, we're fellowshipping, we're talking with each other, we're, we're enjoying the children coming up and screaming sometimes or whatever, suffer the little children. And while you're doing that, don't forget what I did for you. Don't forget that I suffered for you and that I died for you. This is why we pray at the beginning of our meals. There's some discussion about, should we pray at the beginning or pray at the end because you see both things happening. If you're Jewish, you pray at the beginning. If you're a Christian, you pray at the end. The Bible said when they had eaten and were full, they gave thanks unto the Lord. But we also know that the Barakah is, is performed at the beginning of, of a meal. So uh, you're coming in, you're giving thanks for this moment, and then uh, you are at the end being thankful and giving praise unto God again. So uh, he centers this uh, Jewish custom at the supper table around his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, After that time, this meal would never be taken again without this common communion with the memory of Christ, what he had done for us, uh, and and how he had given his life for us. Um, And I talked in depth about the the socialization of the uh, the Jewish meal where it said if there's no meal there is no study of the word and if there is no study of the word there is no Torah they were inseparable that concept of a Jewish meal please go back and re- listen to that on Sunday I went in depth on that um, uh, and then he brings into uh, the full um, uh, I, I don't want to have to go back to all of this but, uh, of what the rabbi said and all that so please please uh, Join with the, that Sunday sermon online if you can. Uh, Jesus focuses, refocuses the Mishnah, which was the daily law. He refocuses all of that uh, on himself, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, that he is the Lamb of God when he tells them, when you drink this cup and when you eat this bread, when you take this meal, uh, don't forget my blood that purchased your sin and your salvation, and don't forget my body that was broken for you, for your, your sins, your uh, healing, for uh, my compassion for you. Uh, don't forget those things. And so it became a very integral part of the Jewish now Christian church after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus into heaven. Now they're going through this and understanding um, what Jesus was talking about and never having a meal again without remembering The sacrifice of their Savior Jesus Christ and our Savior Jesus Christ. So, uh, the Apostolic uh, Church understood, because they were Jewish, let's just get it right. Uh, This was a Jewish church, this was not a Gentile church. They they had this custom in place for thousands of years how they sat down and took a meal together and how they gave thanks and all of those things. And now Jesus has just centerpieced himself into that evening meal. So, When Luke looks back and he says, if you want to know how the apostolic church has come this 30 years, what the apostolic church looks like, there's four cornerstones. Apostolic doctrine, apostolic prayer that brings power, uh, apostolic uh, fellowship, which is this uh, spiritual connection with others where we get the term brother and sister from, brother sharp, sister sharp. Because we become family, and then there's this third thing that I that I have understood, and that I and that it's significant that the Holy Spirit wants you to understand, and it's doing life together, literally daily on a daily basis. We'll talk more about that on the application of doing life together. And in the Jewish church, it was that evening meal. I think some of us can begin to see uh, how that the devil has come against us with the pressures of society, and actually how COVID. Has, we can give thanks for some things, has restored the, that meal. Uh, when we are all shut in we, we, and it, we were together, we, we, we families were put back together, certainly for the last week. Uh, we've been huddled together maybe because we're cold or, or whatever, and we've been pulling our resources, jointly participating together on the same team to survive this cold weather and all of these kind of things. And, and I want to talk about this in a minute, but I'm trying to get to that place now. Uh, So, Because I'm very proud of the church, how it's been acting, uh, acting in a very apostolic fashion. So the apostolic church understood that true life change or discipleship can only take place in the context of relationship. And that relationship can only take place by doing life together. You can go to church. Many of you come to TCC on Sunday. You can go to church with somebody for 30 years in a church our size and not know their name, their birthday, or how many children they have. Is that good or bad? That's just the way it is. Some people drive to our church over an hour from all different directions. Uh, They have different schedules, and maybe not yours. uh, They work in different jobs. They don't get to make every service. And you, and you, you can't really develop a relationship. Uh, when the churches are small, there are 30, 40, 50 people, uh, 60, even 80 people. Yeah, you can know everybody. You can go to everybody's birthday party. You can go to everybody's wedding. You can go to everybody's everything. Um, and, and you're there because that in itself is kind of a small group. But as the church begins to grow and as uh, at 3,000 in one day and 5,000 the next day, you don't know everybody's name in an apostolic church. You, you don't know where they live. You don't, but in their small groups or in their home fellowships, in their daily breaking of bread around the table, well, then certainly you know their name, you know their needs and everything else about them. So uh, this is at the, at, the, at the small group or the small setting is where life relationship happens and life change happens in the context of relationship. Um, I'm going to become a better person if I surround myself by better people. Uh, If I want to become an atheist, I'd just hang out with atheists. I would eat with atheists. I would fellowship with atheists. I would listen to atheist uh, podcasts and read atheistic books. And so then I would become an atheist. But if I want to become more like Christ, then I want to hang around with Christians. I want to hang around with more mature Christians. I want to uh, surround myself with three levels uh, someone that can speak into my life, someone that can do life with me, and someone's life that I'm speaking into. And if I have those types of relationship in my life, then I can truly act out the apostolic faith that is in my heart. And uh, it's not just a, a, a religion or a church. So um, uh, now I want to move to the part, and thank you for letting me just ramble, if you will, over what I preached on some Sunday uh, and rehearse all of that with you. But here, here's what I, I want to try to get to is the application. And I told you this Sunday, uh, how does that fit us? How does it work for us? Um, the, the, certainly the Bible said that the believers continued to use the temple. They uh, continued to show up in these group or corporate meetings. Uh, they were all in one place, 120 of them, uh, on the day of Pentecost. That's a very large group in, in their day and age. Uh, and, and so that was a large group setting where the the spirit was poured out and the Holy Ghost happened, and they, if you will, converted to Christianity because they were filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. That spills out into the to the street, and now they become a very public or corporate or um, uh, not a small group, just the opposite a temple ministry, an uh, outdoor ministry, if you will, a a, um, a Sunday online service in 2021 where people are listening around the world. And when people were hearing that, uh, they understood that. So they continued in that. When people were hearing that, they were converting. Um, and, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But so they, they, they continue to use the temple uh, for their uh, place of assembly uh, particularly on Sunday, which was the first day of the week, is the first day of the week. And they came there because that's the day the Lord uh, rose from the grave. They came there because it was the first day after uh, uh, the Sabbath and uh, that they could come there and buy their wares and goods and make their sacrifices and all that beforehand. Now the risen Savior uh, risen and now they come there not to make sacrifice at the temple, but they come there to uh, celebrate the, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ to, to the throne of God. And, um, and uh, so that continued. But they also met in their homes. You've got to understand there was not a physical building like we have it on top of the hill over there on 5105 West Adams. There was no physical buildings for about 300 years that where, where you, you'd call a common church. Um, it just didn't happen. It wasn't there. They didn't even have the concept of it. They just met in their homes and then they'd meet in these public places and have these group um, uh, street meetings, if you will, or outdoor uh, congregational style meetings. Um, In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and they continued with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house, excuse me, and they continued daily with one accord. They were in the temple and they were breaking bread from house to house. So, uh, we see this formula of two meeting places. The public meeting and the private meeting. The large group meeting, which is in uh, Solomon's porch around the outer courts of the temple uh, in public places at other times, and then the private meeting that was done in their homes and where they would were encouraged to invite others into their homes and to show them hospitality. There again... That is some of the commandments of hospitality that go back to the Jewish faith even before the time of Jesus. So that continued in the apostolic faith that they would bring people into the house and share what they had with them. So now we move into the early church. They knew, here's what the early church knew. They knew that converts, converts to Christianity, were made in public services. This is where when the preaching of the word went forth, those that had a hungry heart, those that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received the message with gladness, received it and were baptized. Baptized in the name of Jesus and baptized with the Holy Spirit because they heard the word and they received the word. These were their public meetings. So here's what happened in that church when you take an observation. Conversions, if you will, people praying through, people getting the Holy Ghost, people joining the church, whatever you want to say, happened in those very public and very large group, if you will, anywhere from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 or even more uh, uh, people. As the word was preached in one direction, it was received and the Holy Ghost fell on the hungry-hearted and all that received the word with gladness were filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in Jesus' name. So they knew that converts were made in public services, but they did more than make converts. A lot of us, a lot of churches were guilty. I I grew up in, in, in a family. I'm proud of being part of the United Pentecostal Church. And, and even our own church, uh, for whatever reason, for many years, we did everything at the church. Seven nights a week, we were at the church. And then finally, we got to have a, a family night. We are on Monday nights. We stayed at home. Everything was centered around the church. And, and that was okay. It worked well for a small group setting, a small church setting. But as the church began to grow, uh, then all of the needs cannot be met in that, um, uh, in that place. And, uh, and, and then uh, where is disciples made best? So we would do new convert class, discipleship course, new life class. All of those things were oriented at the church. But they seem program oriented and they seem process oriented and they seem very impersonal. And they are constantly in need of being refined and tweaked and, and, and got to get everything just right and check all the boxes to make a convert. Uh, Let me tell you what the Apostolic Church did. They knew that the large group setting was for uh, making converts, bringing people to Christ. But they did more than that. They made disciples. And they realized that discipleship was made in these private meetings, these small groups around a table setting, a fellowship setting, an interaction setting, where they're talking and they're learning and they're teaching and they're rehearsing and they're praying for uh, and they're just socializing. They're just becoming friends. They're just celebrating birthday parties and anniversaries and cookouts and whatever you want to do to fellowship and to break bread together. Uh, working on someone's house, putting a roof on, uh, helping someone. This is how, when in that context, they realize that in that one-on-one or maybe ten or twelve people together in that in that context. They, they could uh, share life. People could ask, why, why do apostolics do this? And then it would be easy to discuss that subject in a small group setting. Where if you've got a, a thousand people, 500 people in your church or your congregation, uh, there's no way somebody can ask that question. Hey, Pastor, I've got an answer. If you've got a hundred, if you've got 50, you can't stop a service for somebody to raise a hand and say, hey, I've got this question, or I've got that question, or I've got, how do, why do we do this, why do we do that? And so they understood that converts were made in the public setting and disciples were made in the private setting. And that's where I want to talk to us about tonight, into that understanding that as much as uh, doctrine and uh, prayer are important, uh, fellowship and breaking of bread are equally important and they are done in a, um, they are perfected, if you will, or amplified in a totally different setting Uh, Certainly, you have fellowship on Sunday with people, but it's when you go out to eat with them afterwards that you get to know somebody. It's when you make plans for somebody's birthday party uh, and and you go do that that you really get involved and you have influence and connection with them. So let's move on. In the public meetings, they would preach. They would, and preaching is a one directional thing. I'm preaching to you now uh, and you're listening, Uh, it's not two directional. Uh, where you're bouncing stuff back to me, asking me questions. Uh, it's it's proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel, and people would listen, and then people re- would respond to God in that. So they had preaching, they had teaching, teaching simply sharing uh, the teachings of Jesus sharing and and opening the understanding of the Old Testament commandments now in the New Testament kind of world where Christ had had, uh, expounded on those, and they all came into light through the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing that happened in these public meetings, without a doubt, was a demonstration of the Spirit and a demonstration of power. We would say, in modern day terms, a supernatural demonstration. Many signs and wonders, the Bible said, were done by the apostles. Now, why were these signs and wonders done in these public meetings? They were done in these public settings so that it would it would uh, tweak, if you will, or, or, or prick at the uh, interest of the unbeliever. The unbeliever go, wait a minute, did I just see what I thought I saw? That man was dead a few moments ago and now he's alive? Oh my goodness, something just happened there. And so even the unbeliever would be uh, curious. That curiosity would stir their faith and they would begin to listen. If they can do that, if that just happened, then I want to hear what made that happen. And so we saw that in these public meetings that preaching, teaching, and supernatural demonstrations occurred in these uh, meetings. Um, And in these public meetings, they were... Without exception, they were without exception, the public meetings were for the purpose of converting people to Christianity. To get new converts, to get people to accept Jesus Christ and the work of the cross and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and to take his name in baptism. They were not for discipleship. Discipleship is something that has to happen every single day. It finds its place in discipline in your life. In the private meetings is where that daily, they were house to house. Your walk with Christ is a daily walk with Christ that you have to get up daily and mortify the deeds of the flesh. You have to get up daily and pick up your cross, crucify your own desires, pick up your cross and follow him. So in that, where you begin to keep the commandments of Christ, you begin to discipline yourself, and you begin to learn these disciplines uh, through accountability to others. I hope I hadn't thrown out there too much uh, so far, but I want to handle the public meetings first. And now let's talk about those private meetings um, where discipleship really occurs in a private meeting in a private setting where you can just be sitting there having a cup of coffee or uh, a matzah ball or whatever you want to, and uh, the, a cup of wine in, in their day and, and uh, be, be talking to one another in, in dis- discourse of the day's uh, uh, actions, uh, certainly in uh, under trying to understand Christ and Christianity. And it can be explained in a very, um, very personal level. And, uh, uh, so, uh, here they find themselves after the day of Pentecost with 3,000 new converts. They needed instruction in the Word and in fellowship, uh, and they needed fellowship with God's people. And if they were to uh, grow and become effective witnesses, this has to happen. Um, many people come to Christ, but how many people uh, continue in their walk with Christ? Many, many people got the Holy Ghost in the youth camp when they were 13 years old. But are they still living and learning and leading a life that is pleasing to Christ? Uh, and, and you might say, well, no, that, that doesn't happen. Why doesn't it happen? Because there's an absence of discipleship. Now, we've tried to articulate discipleship in the pulpit. And that sounds like a, a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And that's, that gives uh, discipleship, if you will, a bad name. Uh, we tried to make programs and processes. Uh, in the church building, come on Sunday early to the 9 o'clock uh, new converts class, uh, uh, come to the new life class. But you, you, you cannot, if you really have apostolic growth in a church, if people really are added to the church daily, how in the world can you put them in a 4-week or a 13-week or a 26-week new convert course and check all the boxes and all of those kind of things? Well, Brother Sharp, you're trying to say we just need to throw uh, the new life class out or the new... No! No, I'm not trying to say that. Those processes and those procedures and all of that that we've used over the years uh, are wonderful, okay? But they will not replace uh, what is done in a small group setting in our homes. Discipleship, if you will, true life change occurs in the context of relationship. Relationship occurs in the context of doing life together. It's that simple. It's that simple. You have to get involved if you're an apostolic in other people's life. You can't just pull up the drawbridge and fill the moat and say, us four and no more going to heaven. I found the way 50 years ago, and I'm going to take my, me and my children to heaven. Oh, no, no, no. If you have the love of Christ in you, you want to share what Jesus Christ has put in your life. And you feel an imminent and personal responsibility to those that you come in contact, whether it's your neighbor, or your co-worker, somebody that God lays on your heart, somebody you met um, consequently, or anything else, and God begins to deal with you. You begin to feel this pressure in your spirit. We call it a burden. You get a burden for somebody. And and, and uh, not just to grab their hand and take them to church. Certainly, we should introduce them to church. Because in church is where conversion happens. The word is preached. They believe the word. And they believe on Jesus Christ. They receive the word with gladness and with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, and they are baptized. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit in that conversion type setting. But now, you've got to take them and get them by the hand. Somebody asked me one time, how long do you does it take to make a new con take a to make a new convert into a mature saint. And I said, a lifetime. There's no such thing as stopping. You don't stop. It's it's a daily teaching or training or walking together or walking alongside someone. So they had three thousand that needed to be discipled. How are they going to do that? They don't have an organization. They don't have the UBC or any kind of organization. They don't have any hierarchical structure. The hierarchical structure they had of the, of the Levitical priesthood and Aaronic priesthood and all of that was bogus, man. They had it lied to it and cheated them and, and everything else. That wasn't where it was going to come through, but it was going to come through uh, a personal responsibility to each other and these new believers that was found in their home. Uh, in these private meetings, Uh, Not only was discipleship or life change beginning to occur, but they ministered to one another's needs. I'll just say this and say it bluntly. Um, uh, If you have the gift of whatever, let's just say you have the gift of of, uh, tongues or interpretation, gift of wisdom, gift of this. What about the gift of hospitality? How do you demonstrate the gift of hospitality in a large group setting. Well certainly you can be on the, um, the the breakfast team or something of that nature but the truth of the matter is a true gift of hop- hospitality is to be poured out on a very personal basis. Uh, and when you take the gifts of the Spirit and you put them on a center stage in front of a large group setting it becomes kind of a sideshow uh, and the gifts of the Spirit are not to be a sideshow. Now the signs, wonders and miracles are there to, to to bring that into uh, people to Christ because of the wonder of it. But the true operation of the gifts of the Spirit are to one another. They're mutually accepting and mutually giving. You have a gift that I need, I have a gift that you need, and we're pouring those out upon one another. So the gifts of the Spirit are easily and better operated. If you've got a word of wisdom for somebody, you don't need a microphone and 3,000 watts of amplifier to say, thus saith the word of the Lord, I have a word for you, Bill Jones, or whatever. You simply, if you're in a small group setting with a cup of coffee in your hand, go, Bill, let me tell you what, God, when I was praying the other day, God spoke to me, and, and I think I've got a word for you, Bill. Um, and we've been friends a long time. Or, 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 Bill, you're new to our group, but you're learning to trust us. And, and I want you to try this word and just see if it doesn't fit what you're feeling in your heart. And you give them that word, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. In a one-on-one setting, and when you do, you'll change somebody's life. You'll make a disciple. The gifts of the Spirit will begin to operate. Where something that the preacher can't do on Sunday, all of us believers are required to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and well, Saturday is the Sabbath. Maybe you take that day off. I'm just kidding. But when we meet in these small groups, we minister to one another's. Spiritual needs. We minister to one another's social needs. I just have friends. Friends. Sometimes we don't even talk about church. We talk about hunting or fishing or politics or whatever. Just friends are made and met in these small group meetings. And celebrations are done. Um, I, 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 I keep wanting to apologize because they taught us to apologize. If I'm not at your kid's birthday party or I'm not at your anniversary party. Uh, that's what they told us in preacher school. Uh, you know, you, you, you try to be at all these events and you know, shake hands and hug babies and all of that. But the truth of the matter is, as the church gets larger uh, and your church gets larger, uh, you can't be at all of those. It's impossible. Uh, there's conflicting events. It's not that I, I love your kid and don't love your kid or whatever. It has nothing to do with that. I love all kids, okay? But the truth of the matter is, those celebrations are better done uh, in, in small group settings. And, um, uh, I'll, I'll, give you a good illustration real quick. And I know I'm out of time. I only have just a few minutes left, uh, about 11 minutes before we're going to wrap this up. Um, uh, if I don't, my wife will just push the stop button there and it'll be over. <laughs> and that's the way that goes by camera woman. Um, but, uh, a, 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 a real awkward situation is, um, so you go to the hospital, all right. And, you know, somebody announces or somebody says. Uh, Bill Jones or, uh, or Bonnie Smith or whoever is, is in the hospital uh, the, the most awkward thing in the world is for you to be in that one piece gown you know that you tie in the back uh, and you're in your your uh, hospital room and you have you know 52 visitors that you've never met before now they all go to the church with you they all show up but all of a sudden they're coming to this very personal and private setting and I'm just telling you I've been a part of this for a long time it is weird, uh, you know, and, and, and what you need when you're in the hospital is you need those 52 people that you don't have a, a real tight personal relationship with. You need them praying for you fervently and praying for you in faith. And you need that 10 or 12 folks that you're doing life together with, that, that small group, that, 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 that pod or bubble or whatever they're calling it, calls it COVID now. They're, you know, they're talking about stuff that is, is apostolic. Um, you know, right now you you know call and check on each other because of the cold weather and those kind of things. That's because you're checking on those in, in, in a pod. And in, in, in that little small group, that's who you need to come and hold your hand to be there before surgery, uh, to, to be there in those times of healing and recovery. It becomes very personal, very intimate at those times. And that's where, um, uh, when you get that intimacy, uh, and I'm not, it, please don't judge that word strangely or weirdly. Intimate is where I take down my armor and you finally get to meet me and I finally get to meet you. And, 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 and we're very careful when we get intimate with other people because we realize we can hurt them very easily uh, or they can hurt us very easily. It's because there's no armor, there's no guard put up there. In those places, you can be uh, healed and you can be helped uh, when you, when you get that type of relationship with others. Um, so that happens in a small group. So they minister to one another uh, in a small group, in these breaking of bread. Not only do they meet each other's social needs, their spiritual needs, uh, discipleship is, is done in those small groups, uh, 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 but meeting each other's physical needs is happening in those small groups. Meeting each other's physical needs. Helping each other change flats put on a roof, clean somebody's house, loaning somebody a lawnmower. Better yet, go and take your lawnmower. Somebody said, I ain't loaning him my lawnmower. Okay, don't loan him your lawnmower. Go mow his yard if there's somebody that you're connected with. So that happens in these small group settings. I'll tell you another thing, and I'll give you a teaser, and uh, we'll have to circle back on this because this is probably a whole lesson on itself. Another thing that happened in the small groups Uh, Not only did the gifts of the Spirit happen, but baptisms happened in these small groups. Baptismal tanks are new, really, really new to the church world. I mean, like America knew. Um, Baptisms, even in America, most churches didn't have... Uh, ability to have baptismal facilities. You go down to a creek or a pond of water or those kind of things. Now in an organized kind of cath- Catholic church or a, a liturgical church that's a, from the you know, the, you know, uh, off branch of those, well, they certainly they have these cathedrals and those kind of things there. But baptisms happen in these small groups. Um, day of Pentecost, do some math for me. You get 3,000 people get the Holy Ghost. The next day you get 5,000 people. You got 11 uh, disciples, uh, that were preaching the message. So if you want to say there were 11 preachers there. Okay. So you got 11 people, uh, baptizing 3000 from noon to 6 PM and they have no lights. How do the math on it? How does 11 preachers baptize 3000 in six hours? You can't get it done. Well, let's do that 120. Everybody, wait a minute. If you got the 120 baptizing people, then you got Mary, the mother of Jesus, baptizing people. You got unknown and unnamed people, baptized people. Maybe they did. They were baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. The next day, 5,000. History tells us that 80,000 are baptized in the name of Jesus before the week is out. There is no organizational structure, there's no building or facility, there's no program or process that you can put in, into action that can, can get that done mathematically in that time period. So how did it happen? They were baptizing their disciples in these small group settings. You were bringing your neighbor to Christ to hear the message of Jesus Christ being preached. That neighbor heard the same message you heard. And like you, they received the message of Christ gladly and were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what do I need to do? You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, Brother Peter, could you stop and quit preaching? And and, and I know you're preaching to uh, 8,000 or 10,000 or whatever. Could you stop so that you could baptize this person? That's not how it happened. They would take them back to the rivers. And they'd say, well, how, did, how were you baptized? We were baptized in Jesus' name, calling on the name of the Lord. And they would go down in the water and they would be baptized by one another, by another disciple instructing them or another uh, believer instructing them on how to do it. How, how is it to be done? I don't even know how to do this. Just do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you accept the work of the cross? Do you, do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? yes. Then calling on the name of Jesus, they would go down in the water. Now, church, listen to me. When we get to the place that we baptize at our homes and in our small groups, we're going to add to the church daily such as should be saved. I got my five-minute notice coming from my cameraman, so I've got to hurry. So I, I just gave you that teaser. We'll get back to baptism because I believe the day is coming. When my phone rings and somebody says, Pastor, we just baptized two more. It's the rings the next day. Pastor, I want you to know that in our, our home last night, in our baptism, in our swimming pool, uh, in a horse trough for whatever, we baptized six last night. I baptized my neighbor. I baptized my brother. I baptized my boss. That's how the Lord's going to add to the church daily. i got to hurry. I feel pressure right now. So not only do they have their physical needs, not only do, do baptisms but accountability was there. Accountability is not a bad word. Last few days, you, you better hope you had somebody you were accountable to and they were accountable for you. Because if not, then maybe a phone call doesn't come to you. And maybe no one knows that you're out of lights or water or propane or food. But if you're in a small group, I promise you, everybody in your small group is going to check on you and going to say, how's sister so-and-so? How's brother so-and-so? Brother so-and-so doesn't have a four-wheel drive. And Billy Bob says, my goodness, i got a six-foot-tall four-wheel drive, and I'll go get them, and I'll bring them. And that's what we've been doing for the last week in these small groups. There is no way a church can, can, uh, from the top down, do a process that covers all of these. But I have been so proud, pastor, hashtag proud pastor. I have been so proud in a godly sense of the Temple Christian Center, how you have been watching for, caring for, and sacrificing for each other in these last few days. It has been astonishing how you shared your homes, how you shared your heat, and how you shared your hearts with each other, your food your trucks, your water, you've shared it with each other. Truly, we have seen the apostolic church in action through breaking of bread and fellowship in the last week. The Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week and for service as usual, but they met daily. They cared daily. They baptized daily. They won souls daily. They searched the scriptures together daily or rehearsed the words of Jesus Christ together daily. They increased by number on a daily basis. Their Christian faith was not a day-to-day reality. Excuse me, their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality. It was not a -a once-a-week routine. It was not a place they went to or a church they belonged to. It was who they were. Why? Were they that way? Because the risen Christ was a living reality to them. And his resurrection power was at work in their life through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And they believed him when he said he was coming back. They thought he was coming back in their lifetime. I think he's coming back in my lifetime. And we must live our lives in that method. Because of it, the apostolic church had purpose. They had power. They had popularity. Who wouldn't want to go to a church and be a part of an organization or a group of people that watched for each other and cared for each other and looked over? So they had purpose, power, popularity, and people. The Lord added thousands and thousands. They literally turned the world upside down. Their doctrine gave them direction. Their prayer gave them power. Their fellowship gave them favor. And their breaking of bread gave them disciples. When the church was unified and magnified, it multiplied, and that's what we've got to do today. We've got to absolutely unify, magnify, and multiply. I'm very proud, as I said earlier, of TCC. Um, we've been on this small group journey for 25 years. I've been a pastor at TCC for many, many years, been the lead pastor about 30 years, uh, but uh, I was very frustrated early on in my ministry because we had a lot of people convert but not many people become disciples. And I, I didn't understand this and I began a search and I'll never forget as I was walking out of a general conference, Chester Wright handed me, and I didn't know who he was and didn't know his name at that time, he handed me a tape, the things were all shut down, I was walking out the door of the convention center and he said, the Lord impressed me to hand you this tape. He didn't know me and I didn't know him and he, he handed me a tape that he had preached talking about the missing half of the church and the mother side of the church. Uh, I listened to that tape, and it set my soul on fire. I began a journey, as I am still on today, of uh, the breaking of bread and the house-to-house ministry. Um, and in that time, I was thankful. And I know I'm on my clock, Sister Sharp, so if you'll give me just a minute. Um, uh, but I was very thankful uh, for all of the writings. Chester Wright is an amazing individual, very... Um, uh, professional. He had a manual. We bought the manual. We uh, consumed the manual. We uh, pr- put those processes in pr- place and procedures in the Care Fellowship Ministry. And um, uh, I thank God for it. Uh, but we saw that uh, come and go in, in our church and we couldn't figure it out. And then uh, talk about the missing half of the church, the, the, the corporate services or the public services or the father image, images where direction, correction, guidance, leadership, Uh, the the message of Christ is preached. But the missing half of the church is the mother image. We're nurturing uh, discipleship. uh, Newborn babes, baptisms uh, are born into the kingdom uh, and and those kind of things. So we were moved with Brother Tamil's uh, information. So we went to Wisconsin and and understood the the care fellowship or the uh, uh, home group or whatever. I can't remember all the names. and We went up there several years, took our teams up there and organized, and we all taught the same lessons at the same time. And then after a few years, we saw that begin to change into something else. Uh, I read Cho's book early on about cell group ministry from uh, South Korea. Uh, I I have... uh, consumed and processed information from every point. And I want to say I appreciate every single book I've ever written on the small group ministry, the cell ministry, whatever you want to call it, uh, the, the house-to-house ministry. Um, but what I have learned, what I have learned in 30 years of pastor at Temple Christian Center is that this is not about process. and This is not a procedure. This is not a classroom on the second floor of our church that you send to people to uh, during a Sunday service. This is not that. What it's got to become, and I am so thankful for it, is it's got to become the culture of the apostolic church, again, your church and our church, if we're going to be apostolic. Let me say it again. It's got to become the culture of our church if we're going to become the apostolic church. It's got to be, to use a modern day word, organic It's got to start from within the heart of the believer, not who will be a home group leader, who will be this, who will be that. We all have to have that spirit. We all have to open our homes and our hearts and our lives. We all have to consider that he died for me before I even knew him. So I must be willing to sacrifice for someone else before I know their name, uh, understand their background, or maybe if they're a different creed or color than I am. I've got to have the love of Jesus Christ to say you're welcome in my world and in my reality. So I'm thankful for all of those things, but mostly I'm thankful for the culture of the Temple Christian Center that is a small group culture, where people call us up and say, Pastor, I just want to let you know, uh, the wife and I, are. Uh, we just started a, a new small group in our home the other day, and we're doing this, this, and this. Or they call and they say, Look, I, a lady calls and says, I felt led to have uh, uh, divorced women to come to my house every Wednesday at at ten a.m. and and or two a.m. or seven p.m. or whatever time they meet. And when and we've been discussing that, and Pastor, I've got sixteen divorced women coming to my church uh, to my home on a, on a routine basis. Those organic types of small group meetings. That cultural reality of this is the message of Christ, and I want to share it, and I want to heal and help. I want to disciple. I want to be accountable to someone, and them to be accountable to me. I want to do life with somebody. I want somebody to know when my birthday is. I want somebody to come to my anniversary party. I want somebody to be a part of my life and to share Christ with on a daily basis. I want to come to the same church with you on Sunday. And what our church is, is become a a conglomerate of these small group identities. That's why when you come to TCC, everybody does not look the same. Everybody does not look the same at TCC because we come from different economic backgrounds, social backgrounds, racial backgrounds, and, 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 and you will see everything in the world uh, at, uh, at a Sunday service uh, at TCC because we are coming together as a, as a bunch of home churches or home groups, if you will. We're coming to a common place where we trust that the Word of God is going to be preached. The gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ is going to be preached. It's going to convict our hearts. And when it convicts our hearts, we're going to convert to Christ. And we're going to come closer to Christ. We, we come to TCC on Sunday because we know that that's what's going to happen. We're going to build a spirit and atmosphere of worship in which the Holy Ghost comes down, begins to move through the preached Word of God, and gives us an opportunity to apply that Word to our heart, to make a decision to change our direction or to correct our direction in a way that we should go. We're going to take that back to our homes And we're going to be disciples of that word. And we're going to dig deep into that word. And we're going to help each other make heaven our home.